Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. When you can identify some code of conduct that you admire, that you pursue, and you call your son up to with real-world applications in the midst of the battle of real life, that's when those words take root and begin to germinate. Robert Lewis joins us today on Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, as a dad of boys, I can say the father-son relationship is so special. And boys need a dad who is engaged and intentional in teaching them what it means to be a man. Uh, Here at Focus on the Family, we want to help you in your relationship with your children to be the best it can be, even if you didn't have a good dad as a model. That's pretty common. Robert Lewis has long been associated with this ministry. He wrote an outstanding book titled Raising a Modern Day Knight for Focus on the Family, and it's been our number one bestseller for many, many years. So we want to share his message again today, how to raise your sons as honorable men, men of quality and character. And while today's conversation revolves around the father-son relationship, it's a great opportunity for mom to listen in as well. Yeah, I'd agree. And Pastor Robert Lewis is the founder of Men's Fraternity, an organization that teaches men how to live uh, lives of authentic biblical manhood. Uh, He's married to Sherrod, and they have four adult children. Let's go ahead and pick up the conversation now on today's Focus on the Family. Uh, Robert, uh, getting to it, what do you think is missing in the way we are raising boys today? Well, we have a big gap in uh, this generation, and the gap is that we're assuming a lot that uh, boys are going to grow up and understand not only what uh, manhood is all about, but uh, what are the key components to being an authentic man. And the problem is, is that most of the things that we involve our young sons in tend to be things that build their exterior skills, like sports and academics and experiences and stuff. Which are important. Which are very important. But shouldn't be the most important. That's exactly right. And I'm not against any of those things. My boys and I got involved in every one of those things. The problem is, is the gap is we assume the interior skills Mm. of character, of godliness, of how to interact with a woman, how to understand myself, what God is all about, uh, how to connect with him and what I'm supposed to experience as a young man, what are my responsibilities both as a teenager and how do those connect to being a successful adult? Those dots are not being connected today by our culture, mainly because dad's not there. Good 40 plus percent aren't even there. But the ones who are there, who are the ones that I work with a lot, don't feel competent in giving those things away to their sons because they themselves aren't clear about what they are. So... For starters, most dads don't even have a definition of manhood to give away. Why is it? Is there a transmission problem, generation to generation? Men seem to not tell their sons what's important about manhood and what you need to know. Is that one of the core problems? It is because our institutions, uh, mainly the church and what used to be more of a Judeo-Christian culture, used to emphasize giving away certain aspects of those 
But for whatever reason, we've gone dark. And so what we're raising today is what I call dark manhood. Hmm. And we have dark matter in the universe. You know it's there, but you can't see it. There's a dark manhood where guys look like men, but they aren't men. They're dark manhood men. And so to give away that, there has to be a new way of heralding to this generation what are the most important things that boys need to be successful men, not just generally from a secular standpoint with a strong interior, but especially for us as Christians, what is it that builds a healthy manhood interior for the next generation? I don't think we're clear about that. We're not talking about those things. And because we're not talking about those things, dads don't feel competent in what to seize and give away to their sons. Before we get to some of the practical application, this topic comes out of your heart, your own, um, well, lack of father. Uh, Tell us about your experience as a boy growing up and why this is so important to you. Yeah, I think part of the strength I possess now is because of part of the vacuum of what I grew up in, because I grew up in dark manhood. I grew up as one of three sons underneath a dad who was a a war veteran, which I'm very proud of, by the way, that he did serve uh, honorably in the service. And uh, my dad was the kind of guy like the greatest generation that came home and put his nose to the grindstone to provide materially, but didn't know how to provide spiritually or socially. So I call my formative years with my two brothers uh, growing up in a home where dad was there, but he wasn't dad. In mm. fact, I got to where I called him the invisible dad. Mm. He was around, but you couldn't touch him and you couldn't feel his heart. How did you and your brothers process that as 12, 13, 14 year old boys? I mean, what was happening <laughs> in the relationship? What did that look like when you talked about it? Did you talk about it as no, brothers? We we basically kind of made up life in a small town as best we could. And my Brothers and I each went different ways. We each are gifted in different ways. My oldest brother was more of the artist. My uh, younger brother was more of the outdoorsman and fisherman and intellectual. Uh, How do you describe yourself? I was more of the action guy. I just wanted to get involved in sports. So I just lost my life in sports. I was on every sports team in our little town. And ultimately, that was my way out of town because I was good enough to play college football at the University of Arkansas during some of its glory years. So I had a really wonderful experience playing college football, but that was my way out of town. And and so sports was how I identified uh, my life and actually for a few short years thought it would be a vocation. Robert, to add to that description, you and I share in this is uh, both of our fathers were alcoholics. They were. And that, yeah. that really uh, dampens down your respect oftentimes. I mean, right. you had your dad in the military. But for those sons growing up where alcohol is part of their family life, either mom or dad, uh, you know, it doesn't matter or both. Um, what did that look like for you? And what actions did you see your dad do uh, in that environment? And what did it do to you spiritually and emotionally? Yeah. Well, my dad worked hard. I was always proud of that, but he also drank hard. And uh, it increased during uh, my formative years into my teenage years. and, And that became problematic. And when the home begins to break apart because mom and dad aren't doing well because my mom was trying to reform my dad and she couldn't do it. And so 
for whatever reason, maybe because I'm a stronger personality than my brothers, I got drafted in to that relationship to negotiate. You're the point I man. was the negotiator. <laughs> so I was always trying to keep the peace. I was always trying to keep dad straight. I was always trying to convince mom why she shouldn't leave or why she should have more patience. And what is really odd, there were times I was trying to counsel my mom how to better interact with my dad, which was totally insane for a 14 and 15 year old. That's a lot of responsibility. Oh yeah. But I tried as best I could. I took a lot of shrapnel from both sides in trying to do that, which I think wounded me in ways I didn't understand. Uh, In order to do that, I had to bury my emotions, which a lot of boys who grew up under alcoholics do. They had to put their emotions of shame when guys would make fun of my dad for being drunk or mm. when he didn't show up for things like my ball games or which I cite in Raising Modern Day Night right at the very beginning when he didn't show up for my wedding. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird thing to be at a wedding where all, you know, we were a well-known family. My All my college athletes at the time who were my groomsmen came. It was a huge wedding. My grandfather-in-law was doing the service, and there we were with a lot of pomp and ceremony, but Dad wasn't there because Dad couldn't handle it. So Mm. he drank himself into a stupor that weekend. And so you just carry a lot of shame, and at the same time, you're trying to make it work. Robert, the question for some of the guys listening right now would be, uh, you seem to turn out okay. Um, For me, I didn't have that dad. I still haven't built that bridge. They might be in their 20s. They might be in their 30s or 50s and 60s where that bridge to healing has not been built. How does a guy who had that experience like you or like me, how do you get on a better path to say, okay, I didn't have it, but I'm going to give it to my son? That is a great question. And I'm not sure, apart from the grace of God, I got a great answer, because I think what you do when you're one of those wounded sons, you grab for whatever gives you meaning, but somewhere in there, that won't be enough. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a listener who's listening there and he's feeling a lot of emotion, even talking about this, and sometimes when you bridge it with anybody who's got that background, immediately that emotion kind of wells up and you can see it in their face. And if it's not resolved then my encouragement to them would be to look to Jesus Christ. That's what I did. And that's a great answer. And it sounds maybe overly used, but yeah. it's the right answer. It, it is the right answer. you got to turn to God and read his word and understand yeah. what a father is because he's I, the ultimate father. And, I, and I'm so grateful. I, I say from an earthly viewpoint, I stumbled into it. From a divine viewpoint, I think God helped lead me into it. But uh, in that interaction in finding Jesus, I also found a book that had answers in it that I'd never read because we didn't grow up in a church home. So I started reading the Bible and all of a sudden questions about friendships and about shame and about guilt and about marriage and about girls and stuff. I found answers that with the help of others, I put into practice, maybe because I'm a results-oriented person, they worked. (laughs) I couldn't believe they worked. And all of a sudden... It gave me a sense of, okay, I can hang on to this. And plus it had an eternal tale to it. So I go, this can go on forever. Mm. And it was in that with friends that then led to an adventure with Jesus that has persisted to this day that I'm still, I think if there's a word, a banner over my life, it's just grateful. Yeah. Grateful for all of that. That's so good. Speak to the wife and the mom who is seeing a lack of uh, interaction with her husband, the father of her children. She's concerned 
and I've had this conversation from time to time. Our vocations can be demanding. Um, Gene and I, the conversation might be, we need more spiritual training with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to engage. Right. And uh, a lot of moms and wives will begin to think through how they can, if I could say it, manipulate yeah. <laughs> their husbands into doing more. What's a constructive way for wife and mom to say to her husband, we need more? Without the husband saying, wait a minute, don't you know what I do for this household? Well, I've, I bet I've had a thousand conversations being a pastor that has addressed this very issue by women uh, reaching out to me who felt abandoned or hurt or with questions with no answers and saying, help me. And I would say uh, divine manipulation is a good word mm. because, you know, the scripture speaks to men who are kind of off track a little bit. And it says that the wives are to win them without a word. I think direct instruction to a wayward husband or a faltering husband will always hit a dead end. So I'd say, don't do that. That'd be my first statement. And most wives are saying, what? Yeah, don't don't, know that I believe that. I'd say lay off. The second thing is where I call the divine manipulation. Because if a wife, and I would have said, I wish I would have known this to tell my mom, if a wife can survey the social landscape around their family and maybe the church they go to, and if not a church, just their friends, they can find healthy families or healthy groups to go to and simply with a soft word to a coach or a pastor or a man who's doing well in his marriage and say, you know, we're struggling a little bit. Would you mind reaching out to my husband and including him in X. It might be a group. Uh, it might be you're playing sports together. Would you mind inviting him to the next game just to go with you to watch our sons play? He needs some encouragement, some involvement. And you seem like you're offering a lot. I'm not asking you to do anything other than just befriend him a little closer. If they're real close friends, you might go even a little further, say, invite him to the group that you're going to. Maybe it's a men's group or maybe it's a, a fishing club or what. I don't know what it could be, but there are ways to do that. That would be number one. The second thing is for your son, which I think my mom did do some of this, and I'm thankful for that. I think I would put my son, if dad's not involved, in the most masculine environments I could get him in that are healthy. Yeah. And so my mom got me in Little League. She got me, for a time, I didn't stay, but with the Methodist youth group. I dropped out, but that was my choice. She put me in places where there were men around. Positive environments. Positive environments. And that's where I got my love for sports. And she complimented me on uh, some of my successes, especially in football. So by the time I hit high school, I was starting to be a pretty good athlete. And I think there was a word spoken to my coach, my head coach, where he took a little bit extra noticing of me because my dad wasn't around. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. And out of that came this mentoring relationship of my coach that changed my life because he believed in me. And let me tell you, Jim, my coach by my senior year could look at me and knight me with his eyes. And I'll never forget this. I still have a picture where it's our banquet, our football banquet, and they're giving out trophies to all the players. I expected to win the most valuable defensive player. And they gave it to somebody else. I remember I was stunned. 
And then at the very end of the banquet, my head coach came up and he said, we've created a new trophy. We're going to call it the coach's trophy to the athlete that we think best embodies the spirit, the effort, and the excellence by which we coaches want our athletes to be. And we're going to make this the trophy that we're going to give from this point on to the athlete we think has had the greatest influence. And my head coach gave that first trophy, which is still the preeminent trophy at our high school, to me. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Christmas memories of baking and sharing stories with your family. That's depicted in the Jacle from Focus on the Family titled Family Traditions. This story and paint by artist Morgan Weisling, a portrait of a lively family kitchen scene, will find a special place in your home and heart. Find out how to get a signed version of this special edition print at focusonthefamily.com slash family traditions. That's focusonthefamily.com slash family traditions. The seasons of your life are always moving forward. Singlehood, marriage, parenting, aging well. And through it all, Focus on the Family is alongside you with encouragement from a biblical perspective. And now we have a tool that gathers our trusted guidance and support together in one place, the enhanced Focus on the Family app. With it, you can listen to the Focus on the Family broadcast, engage our social media, find a counselor, or make a donation, all on the Focus on the Family app. Download it today from the App Store or Google Play. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Robert, let's get into some of the book content. Um, This is part of it. We haven't, you know, gone out of our way here. But uh, what are some of the set of ideals that we should be imparting into our sons as dads? Well, first thing I would say to a listening dad is you are way more important than you think you are. Mm. And we're not talking about massive effort in saying that. We're not talking about you've got to become some kind of excellent, well-scripted dad who's got it all together. We're talking about dads like me who are fumblers, mistake makers, um, have got to ask for forgiveness often, but who at least grab onto the fact that we are the greatest influence in our son's life. And if we will impart just a little father food to our sons, invariably it has great results. Mm. So if I were telling a dad, if I just had a brief moment to instruct a dad and say, here are some things you need to give your son, I would point to three things immediately. The first would be you need to give definition to your son about what a man is. You need to define it. And if you don't know what it is, maybe I can help you. (laughs) <laughs> as a, a writer, as a author, uh, help you define that in a way that you would be excited about that definition, but you could give away for your son. Because here's what I've learned, and I've told dads over and over again. You cannot impart to your son what you can't define. And if you can't define manhood about the only thing you can do, and I hear dads say it all the time at ball games and stuff, it's when they yell and scream at their son, be a man, be a man. And I always want to pause that moment and just go out and say, okay, so what do you mean by that? Well, he probably couldn't tell me. It's just a catchphrase. Mm. But if you can add substance to that phrase, you give your son one of the greatest gifts he can ever receive. And that is he can at least articulate what a man is and begin, hopefully, to measure his life by it. That'd be the first thing. The second thing is he needs some practical applications 
of how to live out that manhood. Again, it could be minimal, but at best I would want a son to know how to work, just a few key work things. I'd want him to know how to live with a woman, which he could practice on mom. And all these things are in numerous books. But if you could just get a few of those and practice it with your son and keep articulating this, which is so key. Son, this is what a man is. Because he's hearing what a man is from the world all the time, where it's, you know, the ball field, the bedroom, or the boardroom, exterior manhood. You're talking interior manhood. This is how you love a woman. You get up and help mom do this. You're loving mom. You write mom on Mother's Day more than just a card with love, son, you say, mom, here's how you're important. You articulate because women need to hear words of affirmation, words of affection, those kind of, so you're teaching those things. So he needs some practical directions. Just a few, dad. You're putting your son in the big leagues with just a few directions. And then the last thing, which the book, Modern Day Night, really focuses on, it would be wonderful if I could instruct you on how to do a couple of manhood ceremonies where you could bring great men in his life together and just authorize him into that definition. If you did those three things, you'll move your son from elementary manhood to the big leagues. That's good. I want to go back to definition because okay. I'm that guy. Tell me, I'm sitting there with you having coffee at a restaurant yeah. and I'm struggling. Yeah. What is the definition of manhood? Yeah. Well, the definition is something I worked honestly, three or four years on, because when I first started this manhood journey as a young, failing 20-something who was a pastoring a church where men were kind of asking me that question, I had no answer. So just going into the scriptures, just asking that question, and finally, what emerged was there are really only two archetype men in scripture, and they're both named the man. There's Adam, and the Hebrew word for Adam, Adam, is man. And then there's the second Adam, Adam, which is Jesus Christ. In fact, he's called the second man in the New Testament. So you really have two men only in Scripture that represent true manhood. And as Herman Ritterbos, the theologian, said, he said, every man in history falls under the shadow of either the first Adam, who was unfortunately disobedient and wayward, or the second Adam, who was clued in, knew what God expected, in defining him as a man and lived it out. So I took those two and just compared them to one another. Mm. And then what I came up with was really just kind of a the Robert Lewis hands-on version of how you take those two men and what they were called to be, and one didn't and the other did, what manhood revolved around. And at the heart of it, it was around responsibility because when God created the first man, he gave four responsibilities to that man. They were these. They were to obey God's word, to love God's woman, to excel at God's work, and to better God's world. Those are the four responsibilities. I call it quadraphonic manhood that every man needs to measure his life by through his life, not focus on just one like men do. Man, manhood is work or what do I achieve? That's one-dimensional manhood, but all four. And if you end up at the back end of life where I'm getting to right now, and you can say, you know, I've really tried to pattern myself after God's word. I've I've been faithful to God's woman. I, I've worked hard to be a good worker. I saw work not as just work. I saw it as sacred, a way to honor God. And through the use of my gifts, whether it was at my church or in my community, I helped better God's world. 
I think you live out the script of what authentic manhood is. Now, to do that, you've got to do some things Adam didn't do. Adam became passive and rejected those responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And I think that waywardness lives in every man ever since. We all are naturally passive when it comes to social and spiritual responsibility. So to accept those four responsibilities, the first thing a man has to do is reject passivity. Then he can embrace those responsibilities, but then to live out those responsibilities, a young boy like my sons need to be told, let me tell you, those responsibilities are hard. They're going to take everything you got. So you've got to live courageously. You've got to fight through feelings and keep going back to those even when you fail. And the thing that keeps you steady in those difficult times is you've got to believe on the back end, God will reward you. Mm. Okay. So if I could summarize over a coffee talk with you and you said, okay, well, tell me what a man is. Here's what I'd say. A real man has to reject passivity because only until he says there's some other manhood out there that's bigger than what I can make up. It's God's manhood. So I'm going to accept responsibility for God's manhood, which entails obeying God's word, loving God's woman, excelling at God's work and bettering God's world. I'm going to accept those even though they're hard. And then over the course of time, through the help of other men and God's Holy Spirit and his word and his church and others, I'm going to live courageously. I'm going to keep clawing at it so that at the end I can experience God's greater reward in all of that and walk into eternity and God would say, You live like a man. And that's where we're going to have to pause for today's episode of Focus on the Family with our guest, Robert Lewis. And he had such strong insights and great wisdom, Jim. He did. Uh, This is really good content that every dad can draw from. And as you've been listening today, I hope this conversation has really spoken to your heart and encouraged you. Dads can have such a powerful influence in their sons' lives. Modeling godly behavior, character, and integrity is a solid start. Um, And that's why Focus on the Family is here. We have numerous resources available to you, such as our Seven Traits of Effective Parenting Assessment. It's biblically based and backed by research to help you discover your parenting strengths and areas for growth and identify the skills you need to raise healthy, mature, and responsible children. Uh, We also have the book by Robert Lewis that we mentioned today, Raising a Modern Day Night. And we'd love to send you a copy as our way of saying thank you when you pledge to be a partner with the Ministry of Focus on the Family on a monthly basis. By doing so, you are helping parents receive the answers they need to raise strong, healthy, resilient kids. If you can't make that kind of commitment, we get that. But we'll also send that to you for a one-time gift of any amount. Yeah, donate as you can and uh, take that assessment. Get your copy of Raising a Modern Day Night. All the details are at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800-the-letter-A-and-the-word-family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we have more of the conversation with Robert Lewis and once again, help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. First thing I would say to a listening dad is you are way more important than you think you are. Mm. And we're not talking about massive effort 
in saying that. We're not talking about you've got to become some kind of excellent, well-scripted dad who's got it all together. We're talking about dads like me who are fumblers, mistake makers, um, have got to ask for forgiveness often, but who at least grab onto the fact that we are the greatest influence in our son's life. And if we will impart just a little father food to our sons, invariably it has great results. You're going to hear more from Robert Lewis today on Focus on the Family as he talks about raising honorable sons. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus on the Family president and author Jim Daly. I'm so pleased to return to this conversation with Robert Lewis, John. Uh, Last time we talked about the fact that many boys are growing up without any clear direction on how to become a man. Robert shared the troubled relationships uh, he had with his own father. Many of us can relate to that. Uh, So many just didn't have dads involved in their lives. But Robert developed a plan for giving his boys a vision for manhood that is based on the way the knights journey through life and the way they live back then. Mm. It's a great resource. Uh, If you have boys in your home, you really need to get this book, Raising a Modern Day Knight. It is one of the best books Focus has ever produced on this topic. And if you missed any part of the program last time, let me encourage you to listen online or the app or even call us here at Focus for a CD. Yeah, our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And Robert Lewis is the founder of Men's Fraternity, an organization that teaches men how to live lives of authentic biblical manhood. And he's married to Sherrod, and they have four adult children. Here now is the second part of our conversation with Robert. Robert, it is so good to have you here. And we talked last time about, um, you know, where boys are at in the culture. There's so many things pulling at the attention of the boys. And I see that with my own boys. Mm -hmm. You know, if they do any kind of video games, we've kind of drawn the line on the types they can do and no bloodshed and (laughs) obviously no bad language, those kinds of things. But um, it's hard. It's hard with the media culture that we have in this country, friends who are seeing movies, and we're kind of trying to hold that line, and they just see us as just, you know, mom and dad downer. Yeah. And uh, But there are character things that you are trying to instill there as a parent. We left off last time talking about this idea of the code of conduct. Mm-hmm. And I want to start there today. And we'll post this online, John, because okay. I think this is great. I went through this with my boys last night and uh, they actually, <laughs> my 14 year old said, that's really cool. <laughs> really? So he resonated with it. <laughs> and uh, it is really cool. Why don't you hit that list and then let's talk about two or three of them. Well, let me first say with that, that a code of conduct is a language that if presented by a dad with some passion in his voice, I think young males naturally respond to. One of the things that I've found about sons is they're not deaf to things that call them up. Just like a coach calling them up to work hard, we're going to win, we can be the number one team, that kind of thing. I mean, males respond best to challenges. And I think a code of conduct says, I, as a dad, have identified some things that will make you a cut above. This is what I want to be. Let's go there together. Mm. So that's the first thing I'd want you to hear. The second thing is, is that these 10 things that are listed in Modern Day Night are attributes that give a dad language that he can speak from. 
First, he identifies it, which we've identified or I've identified 10 uh, biblical ideals of code of conduct that you see highlighted in Scripture, loyalty, servant leadership, kindness, humility, purity, honesty, self-discipline, excellence, integrity, perseverance. Those things are great to mention to a son. I would even go so far as to say it would be good to have posted somewhere in the house these characteristics that I'm calling you to because language advertised, language uh, illustrated, language in front of you as a dad as well as the sons are things after a while they kind of get in your bloodstream Mm. and an incident will come up where you'll call that word forward to a son in that moment and say, this is what it means to be a man. Yeah. So you're in the midst of something like uh, with my son, with my son being called out for something he had been pursuing to play college football. And all of a sudden the coach told him right before the season started after he'd given two years, two years to make the Razorbacks. My son walked on, which walk-ons rarely make it. He'd given two years to make it, almost thought he made it. And right before the season started, the head coach called him out and said, we're going to use somebody else, this scholarship player that's just a freshman. So what do you say in that moment? See, in that moment, after he had given himself with discipline for two years, first of all, I said to him over the phone, Garrett, you have worked hard. You've given what real men give, and that is consistent effort of excellence. So now it's the time to reject passivity. Remember that from the previous broadcast and go to your head coach and say, Coach, I've given two years. Why won't you give me a chance? I said, you need to persevere. That's what real men do. They persevere when it seems like nothing will work. You just don't go confront your head coach. But I call my son out to do that. So the next day, He walked out to the coach and said, Coach, you told me that if I would stay and work at this position of deep snapper, that you would give me a chance. And I've done that and I haven't done anything wrong. And you're just replacing me without a reason. What's the reason? And the coach couldn't give him a reason. But because he talked to his coach and persevered, when that Saturday rolled around, And the big game, my son came up on the big screen as being the starting deep snapper. Mm. (laughs) And we call that perseverance. Uh, This is awesome (laughs) material. I mean, I just, I'm translating into the conversations Mm. I want to have with Trent and Troy. And uh, this is such good stuff, Robert. Looking at that list, and again, John, we'll post that. But one of the things there, purity, and I touched on this earlier, that the culture is so, it's a tsunami um, when you're trying to parent boys and girls in this culture today, why they can't wear certain clothes, why they can't see certain things. And it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. As parents, we're concerned about their core character and what they develop in terms of their discernment capability to honor God. Um, speak to that code of conduct particularly, because again, it's so prevalent in the culture. How do you develop a sense of purity within your sons as a dad so that it's not, uh, you know, dad, this is dad's thing. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just play the part. Mm-hmm. How do you really inculcate into your son that this is important? Well, first of all, I'd tell any dad that's listening, this is a mammoth challenge. And it's a mammoth challenge, not just for the culture. It's a mammoth challenge for the Christian community. 
because I think I, I sometimes sense we've given up. Yeah, it's too difficult. It, it's too big. It's yeah. too prevalent. It's too everywhere. And I think for a dad, the biggest challenge is to be able not to just say you need to be pure. Tell them you need to be pure or you you need to not look at that. I think that negative wavelength is in some ways in this culture self-defeating. And it may even push the sun yeah. in that direction. Yeah, and it makes our family look like a dinosaur, so to speak. I think the better thing... It's still going to be a challenge. I, I don't want to take this away because, I I mean, I'm a granddad now, and I've got grandsons, and I've got my sons, and I look at them, and I've sometimes just said to them, boy, the challenge is huge. I think what you've got to do is set maybe a loftier goal that's got a future in it about how living in a way that's pure that young women respond to. Like when Mason was in high school— I had him practice with his mom on uh, giving little gifts that he would write letters to his mom so he could express himself. Because I said, what women want is heart. They don't just want stuff. They want heart. And I said, your words on a card will mean way more than how cool the card is. And I said, you doing little things for mom. And we would do certain things where we would get up and thank mom for dinner and then clean up and have her go sit down and watch what she wanted to watch on TV. It was mom's night or taking her out to eat to just say, you're a great mom. I said, those things, Mason, are life skills for living with a woman that will give you the best Hmm. of a marital relationship because they will become kind of secondary to you, but they're not natural for men. You'll go, what my wife needs is my heart. She just doesn't need stuff. She just doesn't mean me working hard. She needs me to make decisions that show her that she wants to connect with me emotionally, which is what a woman's number one need is, to connect emotionally. So I'd show my son. Then when he started dating, I said, you know, if you really want to do something special on Valentine's for this Mm. girl you're dating, why don't you do a cut above? You know, most guys are just going to go out and party. Why don't you do something that really shows her that you value her? So we talked about a certain flower with a little note in advance would be great. And do something cool. So my son came up with something really cool for this Valentine's thing. He put a table on top of the press box at his high school. <laughs> then got another friend to be the waiter. Then he took her out. They sat up on the press box and had dinner He was the coolest kid in the whole school (laughs) for a month because he did that. And I said, now that's a real man connecting at a heart level. And I go, but you just don't have to lose your your purity. You can do things that build a reputation and other women will notice and notice you. But those are things that you need to do. But I I think you're going to have to, Jim, counteract it with a vision for what purity can do above just abstaining. Hmm. It's giving them skills to win with young women and ultimately with their wife that they realize this is a bigger mission in life than just getting what I want from a woman. Mm. I go, getting what you want from a woman will grow old quick. You want a relationship that will last a lifetime, but that's a different path. So it's not going to guarantee 100% success by any means in the world in which we live, especially with where young women are, but it will help. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Build your child's faith with Clubhouse Junior and Clubhouse Magazines from Focus on the Family. 
Boys and girls ages 3 to 12 will enjoy all the faith-building activities, from fun crafts and puzzles to character-building fiction and powerful Bible stories. Invest in your child's faith all year long. Subscribe today at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash KidsMags. Clubhouse and Clubhouse Junior, award-winning magazines full of games, stories, and God. Find them at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash KidsMags. I'm here asking people how they could both give and get. I don't know, maybe love? Yeah, you could both give and get love. True, but it's also possible with a charitable gift annuity. You get a secure source of fixed income and a charitable tax deduction. Plus, giving a charitable gift annuity to focus on the family helps families thrive for generations to come. I love that. Find out more. Go to FocusPlannedGiving.com. That's FocusPlannedGiving.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Well, we, we uh, covered the definition of manhood last time, and as you drill into these, these kind of code of conduct uh, goals, I love the use of words. Uh, there's a lot of coaching that has, has to go on here. I mean, this is not a, I post the list and I keep going. So how do I get started if I'm inspired by what you're talking about? How do I get inspired to even get to an action point? Because you've done this. You're successful at this. I, I don't know how to deal with my 14-year-old. Right. Well, let me go back to, let's just say you think of yourself as the average dad. and You're lost. If you're the average dad out there, hey, welcome. I was you. Okay? I learned three things by white-knuckle, hard work, trying to answer these questions. But the resources are now available. You need to give your son three things. I want to go back to the three things. You need to give him a definition of manhood that makes sense, that calls him not just to the here and now, but to the future, that there's a greater reward in life than just what everybody's doing. The second thing is you need to give your son direction, clear applications of how to live out that manhood, which will include symbols and wall art like these 10 biblical ideals. Mm -hmm. I mean, rings like I wear. My, both my sons wear these rings. It just reminds them of what manhood is. Those are not silly things. Those are meaningful things to say, this is the better manhood. And then you need to continually remind them with key ceremonies that honor their growth in manhood with men they admire that says, what your dad's telling you is the right thing. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not going to make a perfect son, and that's not going to guarantee that they're going to not make mistakes, even big mistakes. But what it does do is plant imagery and vision because manhood in the end is finding a vision you can hang on to. Mm. But it plants a vision that these young men can come back to even in their failure over a lifetime because you keep using it. And that repetitive interaction, conversation, key identification of terms and a definition that you say, this is it. Robert, that is well said. The uh, question I have is a comment you just made a moment ago, and that is the idea that kids will fail. Uh, even good kids will uh, make bad decisions from time to time. Elaborate on that a little bit, because I think within Christian homes, we expect perfection. We want you to be as Christ-like as you can be. And uh, even though uh, a common uh, remark might be between you and your spouse, remember you at 16, remember you at 15, um, speak to that issue of kids from time to time making bad decisions and how you father your son when that has happened. Yeah. 
Well, we are flawed parents raising flawed kids, and they are going to make mistakes. My prayer for my kids along the way was, I hope they don't make a life-altering mistake. But they're going to make mistakes, and uh, that's just the way life is. Did you ever talk openly with your boys about that? Oh, yeah. That, you and, know. and I had to enter in to my kids' lives when they made those mistakes. Sure. When one of my sons, his first year in college, got a DWI, mm. it wasn't just a DWI. It was in the paper DWI mm. where the pastor's son was DWI. Mm. Okay? And that had consequences. And although he regretted it, and although, you know, it was a hard lesson, he didn't get dad to reject him. We went back to the principles. Oh. It's exactly what God does with us. Right. You know, he was hurt by that, embarrassed by that. He asked my forgiveness for that, which I readily granted. But we go back to self-discipline, mm-hmm. perseverance, integrity. You know, you need to go around to your key contacts and ask forgiveness and say, man, I blew it, that kind of thing. That all becomes part of the journey. The goal is not to have perfect kids. The goal is to have competent adults who can stand there with their wounds and their scars, but also with their successes and what they learned along the way to be able to stand and live for Jesus Christ in an honorable way, even with all that. Right, living the, for those eternal principles. And the, and the minute we try to make it perfection, we've already made a mistake because we're going to be too hard on the disciplines. We're going to be too controlling, and none of that works. None of that works. I'd want the dad to know. None of it works. You're raising a flawed child as a flawed parent who's going to have a spotty track record. That's it. That's Just expect that. But the goal is to get them to an honorable adulthood where with all that, they can bring glory to God. Yeah. Robert, uh, speak to the dad who um, hasn't been mindful of this. He's been building his external values or his external uh, resume, as you called it. Um, How do I get started? Let's say I have a 16, 17-year-old, and I've really not been mindful about this. Mm -hmm. How do you reset the training at a late stage like that to say, okay, now I got to dig in? Yeah. And you know what's interesting, Jim, is a lot of the questions I give off the book or men's fraternity will be dads whose sons are 30 and 35 and who are still asking that, what can I do now? Because they're way wayward. And the separation between them is tragically littered with all kinds of debris and it's hard to get back. And the first thing I'd want these dads to know, in fact, when we uh, added some additions to the book Modern Day Night, I actually wrote a chapter on this to tell dads it's never too late. Yeah, It's never too late. And the first step of a dad who's going, I've lost it. I've, I wish I'd have heard this 20 years ago. There's all this debris, this separation. What do I do? Or even in a more hopeless way, there's not anything I can do. First of all, realize that statement's a lie. There's and that's always, passivity, isn't that it? Is, that's, you're right back to passivity. Yeah. There's always something you can do. The first thing as a dad you need to do is admit, I've blown it to yourself and to God, and to decide, I need to find a different manhood. And so, first of all, it's a personal journey. What is manhood before God? I think a dad can put himself in environments of a men's group, a church group, a book, or whatever, to help at least build a new foundation. But here's the second step. 
with the son. That's most important. And as I speak in prisons, I, I get a chance mm-hmm. to talk to prisoners who are sitting there. Most I just did that recently. Most of the prison, 98% of the prisoners tell me I didn't have a dad. They're mad at their dad. They rail against their dad and ask him, what would you want from dad? Mm-hmm. A perfect dad? A dad who comes and grovels at your feet? No. You know what they want? They want a dad that will say two things to them. And then all is forgiven. All those years of horrendous abuse or neglect. They want a dad to say, I'm sorry. Mm. And the second thing they want their dad to say is, son, I love you. Yeah. If they hear those two things, the slate is wiped clean. So when I have a dad come up to me and say, I wish I heard this. My son and I are doing good or whatever. There's some mistake. Like a dad did to me, a high-powered lawyer whose son was in Harvard Medical School. My son hates my guts. That's what he told me over a salad. And I said, okay, well, let's, why don't we do this? You've been sitting, listening to me teach on manhood. Let's go buy a plane ticket. Wow. Let's get you on a plane this afternoon. Call your son say you want to take him out to dinner tonight. Oh, I couldn't do that. No, no. You can do that. Passivity. You can do that. Okay, I'll do that. What do I say? I said, well, I can give you your script. You just take him out. You look him in the eye and say, son, I've been learning some things about manhood, and I have really missed it with you as a dad. And then say these words without any retort. Son, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? He said, my son will rail. No, no. Just say those words. Trust me. So we got the plane ticket. He flew up to Harvard, took his son out to dinner, said those words. His son started weeping. And they ended up having a great conversation. And when the dad got on the plane to fly home, the son called the mom. And he said, Mom, I just had the greatest moment of my life with Dad. Mm. We're reconnected. What dads of wayward sons or wayward dads with sons... The way to build the road to reconnection is simply with the words, I've blown it. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And then, son, I want you to know I really love you. Can we start again? And in 99% of the cases, because the glory of sons is their fathers, the scripture says, they want to come back to dad and reconnect no matter how bad the road's been. And I've seen that healing over and over again. So you dads listening. It's never too late. Well, in fact, Robert, um, this ties in with the discussion last time about your own father being an alcoholic and being abusive towards your mom and your role in trying to be the negotiator, mm-hmm. as you described it. Um, your dad's story ended in a good place. Describe it. Yeah, it really did. It actually started with, uh, of course, I was I was getting kind of this new inspiration, but my dad had a really tragic moment with my mom where he actually injured my mom by mistake. He was walking out, inebriated, slung my mom back when she was telling me you can't drive. It caused my mom to fall back and actually hit a table and broke her neck. Mm. But he walked out the door. But he walked, he didn't even, he totally Mm. was unaware of what he had done. And when he was notified by the police that that had happened, he immediately had a massive heart attack, (laughs) which how rare is that? All that together. I was called to come fly home for my mom and my dad. My dad was, they weren't sure if he's going to live. I went into the the ICU. My dad was there. He didn't know I was there. He was on drugs. He saw me as a physician. And my dad had never said anything of affection or pride to me in his life. And he thought I was a doctor. And I was talking to him. And he 
started bragging on his son, Robert, and how proud he was of, right. of me. I don't know where that came from, but here I was longing for these words of my dad loved me and was proud of me, and my dad was telling me that, thinking I was a doctor. And out of that, as the next few days unfolded, we ended up having a great connection. I got to share the gospel with my dad. My dad prayed to receive Christ. And that created a relationship between us that lasted until his death and also was the foundation for my dad finally getting reconnected to my mom. And so the last few years of their life, you know, my dad didn't drink. Their relationship was still a little shaky after all those years of abuse and incompetence, but they finished well. And I even, before my dad died, I gave my dad and mom a tribute saying, you did it. You didn't divorce and you reconnected and all of us are proud of you for that. Mm. And they put that little tribute on their wall in their living room, which was entitled by me, here's to my imperfect family, because we were imperfect, but we made it. We made it because of what Jesus did in our lives. That's a really beautiful place to bring this focus on the family conversation with Robert Lewis to a close. And uh, boy, Jim, he offered such great insights for dads. Yeah, he did. And I really hope uh, you've been inspired today to pass on this great legacy to your sons to help your boys understand biblical manhood in a fresh, relevant way and to ignite a fire in their hearts that burns for the Lord. And this is why Focus on the Family exists. We strive to provide tools like our seven traits of effective parenting assessment and other resources to encourage and equip you as parents to do the best job you can do. It's tough, and we know that, but you can do it. We also have Robert's great book, Raising a Modern Day Knight, A Father's Role in Guiding His Son to Authentic Manhood. It's a terrific guide to help walk you through passing down a strong legacy of faith and courage to your son. And you know, we couldn't do this ministry without you. Your prayer and regular financial support are what allows us to help strengthen families like yours all across the globe. When you make a monthly sustaining pledge today, we'll send you a copy of Raising a Modern Day Night as our way of saying thank you. If you can't commit to a monthly gift, we get that. Uh, We'll send you a copy for a one-time gift of any amount. Take that seven traits of effective parenting assessment, uh, donate as you can, and get your copy of Raising a Modern Day Night. All the details are at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800-the-letter-A-in-the-word-family, 800-232-6459. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. 